Hello, this is Benjamin Kitchings of the History Voyager. I'm here with Casey Daniel, and we are going to talk about internet issues and internet privacy and things like that. So, Casey, why don't you take it away? Yeah, so I'm a mobile developer primarily. I've done a bit of cloud work as well. And mobile has been a fascination of mine for many years, as well as uh, tech in general. And the state of tech is always interesting to talk about. It is. And that's why I couldn't wait to have you on the podcast. Can you talk about, because, I mean, I talk about this all the time, just to my friends and family. Can you talk about how the, the technology has jumped in the last 10 or 15 years? It's just been staggering. Yeah, so... You know, 10 years ago, I graduated high school, and I think the first iPhone was just coming out at that point. And you think about where the technology is now. I mean, everyone has the entire collection of human knowledge in their pocket, you know, through resources like Wikipedia and, you know, forces for evil like social media, all, all just available at our fingertips. It's just absolutely fascinating to me. What's the most fascinating thing about it as far as uh, for you personally? What I find really fascinating is how much we have available to us and contrast that with how much we actually use. So what I mean is like, I remember several years ago, I don't remember the exact statistic, but something like 80% of people never download an application on their phone. They just use the default applications. And... The, but yet the app stores have thousands of applications and have hundreds of thousands of different uses and different ways you can use the device. And how few people actually explore that. Well, do you think some of it has to do with the fact that we just call these things phones? I think a lot of it has to do with how little people do on the internet. You look at the at the top five sites on by visit, and the numbers are just so much larger than the bottom than the next fifteen. It's everyone goes to Facebook, everyone goes to their social media site of choice, but very few people actually deviate from that. You know, we're still talking masses amounts of people, but. You know, when we're talking on uh, like the 7 billion people in the world, probably five, 600 million are the only ones that actually deviate from standard websites. So, I mean, I live in the U.S. And one of the things that always amazes me about the U.S. is the, the percentage of people who only buy phones through the carrier. I don't know how people buy phones in Canada, but... Most people apparently buy phones through the carrier in the U.S. Um, and but you're right; it's just these devices are they're so incredibly useful for communication and for uh, file sharing, all kinds of things. Yeah, um, and and your comment of buying through the carrier—I think that's true of most of the Western world. I used to sell cell phones here in Canada, and that's what got me interested in mobile tech. And it's definitely true here, and definitely true in Europe. I think it's only when you get into Asia where people 
will have dual SIM cards. So they'll have two different connections on their phone, one for texting and calling and the other for data because one would be much cheaper on one carrier and the other much cheaper on a different carrier. And right. that, that, that just never spread to the Western world, that, that business model. But, um, you know, something uh, I kind of wanted to bring up was like the security and privacy aspect of these devices and how... Oh, by all means, that's what I is. wanted to talk to you about. You know, so when you when, when you talk about privacy, you know, you're you're talking about the creepiness of a lot of applications. You know, Google Google knows everything about everyone at this point. They what just what to what degree is is really the question. And I don't think a lot of people realize how a lot how they track you on the internet. Uh, you know, it's not just your device. It's not just it's not just the microphone listening on your device, which I think a lot of people know about. You know, they'll they'll track like when you use a web browser, they'll track your window size, how big the actual window is, and they'll track what add-ons. Like if you use an ad blocker, which ad blocker do you use? Do you use other privacy tools? Do you use other add-ons? And the and they'll it's called fingerprinting, and they'll fingerprint you to track you across different websites without while getting around a lot of laws designed to prevent tracking, like through cookies. And you know, I think it's the EFF, the Electronic F Frontier Foundation, has a tool you can go use to fingerprint your browser and see how unique you are. Because what's interesting is if you start to use too many privacy tools, you become too unique. So you have to use the most common tools only to really kind of obscure yourself a little. Is the same true with VPNs? Yeah, so VPNs can, so VPNs hide your traffic from your local internet provider. They don't hide your track they don't hide your track from people tracking. So instead, so every connection you make, every website you visit, tracks where the can track where the request came from, the the location. And so what an IP address, what a VPN is, it changes your IP address to whatever server you're connected to. So the traffic is a little harder to go through. But with these other finger, but it doesn't prevent any of these other fingerprinting tools. But what it does do is it hides it from your local internet provider. And what's interesting is some people, a couple years ago, just before the whole net neutrality thing took off, there was a bit of a shakedown with Netflix. You can look at the download speeds of Netflix through certain US providers and see, I can't remember which provider it was off the top of my head, but one of them just absolutely tanked in speed and then very suddenly shot up. And I if you used a VPN... I'm sorry. I know exactly what you're talking about because that exact thing happened to my family. Oh yeah, I know exactly it, it, what you're talking about. Yeah, it, it happened to a lot of people, and using a VPN was a way to get around it because, at the time, your your ISP doesn't know if it can if it should throttle the traffic or not, so it just lets it through. Yeah. One thing I remember specifically, without naming names is there was a there was an ISP in the states that ran ads they ran television ads and and uh radio ads and all these ads right 
You couldn't not see them. There were billboards everywhere. They ran these ads, and they essentially lied. Not to put not to put too fine a point on it, they essentially lied about their service, about what they were, were providing and how fast the service was going and all this. And what I noticed was they would throttle certain websites, right? But the websites they throttled were websites for, like, uh, news and entertainment, except Netflix, which I thought was interesting. And they didn't throttle uh, Amazon at all. But I, And it took me a while to put it together, but I, they were driving people to their cable package. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Like, the... So, in North America, very few ISPs don't offer cable. And cable is nosediving in popularity. You know, cord cutting is is more popular now than it ever has been. And that's been true constantly for several years now. And so they're terrified of all these cord cutters and how do we make up the extra revenue. So techniques like that don't don't surprise me in the least. And it's one of the fundamental things about net neutrality, which I'm obviously a big proponent of, is... You know, they, they, they try and say, well, we're just shaping network traffic. We're just making it the best we can for everyone. But that's simply not true. You know, data is data is data. And your comment on the the advertised speeds. In the UK a couple of years ago actually cracked down on that. They, I, I can't remember what percentage of time that the speed must be achievable for. But you can't just say up to two gigabits per second and then like 99% of the time, unless you're on at like two o'clock in the morning, do you actually get the full speed? You know, you actually have to have the speed consistently. Yeah. One of the things that, I mean, okay, one of the things I've noticed, and then I want to go into other topics, if you don't mind, but since the pandemic, I live in this neighborhood where pretty much a lot of people work from home in in my neighborhood, okay? And I've noticed that since about the third week of March, my internet speed has really, really went down, has really gone down. And I'm thinking it's because of all these people working from home, but I don't know. But, and and, and it, it it very probably is because the the when, when you think about an internet provider providing services to homes it's kind of like a tree trunk it's called a trunk for that reason is is as you get out to the leaves you're you're getting smaller and smaller connections and so the tiny little branch has to share resources with all its leaves and so the more leaves you have, the more active leaves you have, the more constraints there are. But it really shouldn't. It, it, it's like that, but it shouldn't be that bad because the U.S. has paid time and time again for, like the government has paid ISPs to install fiber everywhere, and yet cable is all you can get for a vast majority of communities. It was uh, fairly recent. 
when we were able to get fiber in this neighborhood, and we're not anywhere near, I mean, we're not anything close to rural, I would say. Yeah. Um, can you, I want to talk again. I want to shift again to, uh, to, to social media and privacy. Yep. Um, I, um, everybody who uses Facebook enough has noticed, I've noticed some real on the nose ads on the internet. You know what I'm saying? For me. Oh yeah. I, I heard an interesting story on the radio yesterday. Uh, it was just it was just a woman on the radio saying she suddenly started getting advertisements advertisements for wedding dresses, and she was just like, I don't know if the, I don't know if if they're calling out me for not being married yet or, or my boyfriend for for not proposing yet. And my first thought was, your boyfriend's googling rings. Your boyfriend's getting ready to propose to you, and Google just and or Google or Facebook or whoever's providing the ads just knows the two of you are together and that you're getting married soon. Well, what's, what's interesting to me about that is you were talking about Google knowing things. Um, what's interesting to me is that, so up until recently, everybody in this house was an Android user and you could totally tell from everybody, uh, from everybody's Google news, you could totally tell that Google knew that our three Google accounts hang out together. Oh yeah, because the news cross pollinated. Oh yeah. Really well, and like so, they they know. They know your house because your all your internet comes from one single source in your house of your modem. And so that modem has a unique internet address, and so they can see all of your all of your news searches, all of that coming from one single point. But what they might not be able to do as easily is figure out who owns which devices. So they know there's three accounts in the home, but they don't know who uses the computer or who's using the computer at that moment. So they kind of fuzz things a little and give everyone similar similar ads. What about, um, can we get a little meta and talk about Facebook privacy implications down the road? Um, cause just in a little bit of research I've done over the years, it really worries me how much information Facebook and Google, but especially Facebook, uh, really has because, and the reason I segregate Facebook from Google is because Google to me is a, that to me is a useful thing where most people don't realize how useful Facebook can actually be. And so I worry about Facebook going away disappearing so there's what google there's what facebook wants and what might happen to facebook so those are two separate two separate things i'll touch on so as it stands today facebook facebook's plan to stay relevant is just buy everything relevant they bought instagram they bought whatsapp uh and they're probably looking at several other similar social media sites that they're looking to buy at any given time just to stay relevant whether or not you use Facebook is irrelevant, but you're using a Facebook app. But what might happen is Facebook is finally starting to come under antitrust investigations in the States and in Europe, I believe, or probably soon to be Europe if they're not already investigating, which might cause them to break up. 
so that could be interesting and that could be the demise of facebook as we know it uh, if they can't if they have to if they have to spin instagram off into its own company they might not be able to track me because i've deleted i don't have deleted my facebook account but i've deleted the facebook facebook on my phone and i never go on it anymore it's funny i only put facebook on my phone because of my podcast just to be able to leave my computer <laughs> during yeah that that might be the reason why facebook comes back on my phone but i you know i really i'll tell you this podcaster to soon to be podcaster right um once you get off the garden path of baby pictures and like your friends and like your college buddies and your cousins once you get off that and you start using facebook as a promotional tool you really start to see some things about facebook that are really kind of a little bit disturbing oh yeah facebook facebook is the creepiest company out there i remember reading a while back that they they would use the camera to see how you were reacting to the content but they nobody knew they were using the camera because they would layer the user interface so that the camera was in the far back where you couldn't see it and just layered on top of it was the interface you were using and it wasn't until it accidentally glitched revealing the camera that this was even found out and this is why on ios 14 you have that little dot that that appears when someone's using the microphone or using the camera is because because of that and so they 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 were just tracking how you're reacting were you looking at the ads did you like the ads did you say you like the ads or did you really really like the ads and facebook and, and apple actually had a bit of a spout because facebook didn't put the put an app into the app store they used test flight distribution which is meant for early access to applications to test with uh, they would pay preteens and teens to use that application and be completely tracked obviously that wasn't okay with apple because that's not the intention of test flight but you know so they got they, they got they got punished a little bit for that but like they were paying people to be tracked Wow, that's that's kind of scuzzy. And plus, I mean, you're doing that to preteens and teenagers that might not, they might not have any kind of a, a well-formed idea as to what actually is happening. With well, that. yeah. It, 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 in my opinion, it's completely immoral to be doing something like that, to take advantage of. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And also, like, you've got to think, like, I mean... You got to think like all the people that you see, um, or that are on Facebook, and and like you got to think like that's some of these people are in compromised states. They're they're not with it emotionally, or you know, like in some cases, I could almost argue elder abuse. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I remember a story, or a, a story. I remember a study years ago around about the time you were in high school um where this these these researchers at a college 
decided to Photoshop themselves together as one person. And they gave, like, they made it so you couldn't tell if the person was a, was a man or a woman, right? And they, they gave the person a gender-neutral name, right? And they they gave it a school. They gave it a job. And I think they all friended it, right? Yeah. And what they noticed was people would talk to it. And then, and but what what really went crazy was when people started to, oh, I met you at the party. And then they would take, like, they would create pictures. Other people, not in the study, were creating pictures of this thing at parties and posting that on Facebook, which to me was crazy. That's super weird. And makes me so bots have on social media have become a huge problem it makes me wonder if that was just early stages of bots because one of the hard things to do as a bot is not be not appear as a bot and so having these personal connections having these you know having having friends having photos of you with friends it might just be a way of mystifying yourself and appearing as a real more as a real person than you actually are right well that was the researchers as i recall were more along the lines of these are people trying to insert themselves in other people's worlds but i don't even think they knew what a bot was per se because this was a psychological study um well, well if it was that long ago they might not have known about bots or it might bots probably weren't as prevalent as they are today. Like, well, I know I'm on Twitter and I mean, there's, I feel like there's this magical hour where you just know it's a bot. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there's this magical time where you just know that person's a bot. Well, uh, so, so Twitter kind of has two problems. They have a bot problem. And like every six months I see a news story, they ban 200,000 accounts for being a bot. And it's just like, that's just a ridiculously large number. But the other part of it is people making fake accounts. So it's real people behind the accounts, but them not saying who they are. You know, and I'm thinking a lot of like with the recent politics that's gone on in the States, there was... A representative somewhere in the U.S. I can't remember where, um, but he was a white man and posted on his account saying, you know, as a black man, I've never been more supported and felt more secure under Trump or something like that. And it's just like, did did you forget to change your account to the fake black person that you had? You know, and so like, how big is that of a problem on social media now, where people are just lying about who they are? Oh, I've had that. I mean, I've totally had that. Um, I've I've seen that. I mean, but the thing that I mean, the thing I thought you was what you were gonna say was uh, Mitt Romney, the U.S. Senator Mitt Romney, was outed as being uh, Pierre Delecto. 
Oh yeah, I do remember fake. that. Yeah. As a fake, you know. So where do you think, I mean, do you see a post-social media world or is it too early down the road to, to have that? So social media is never going away at this point. There will always be some form of social media. You know, platforms like Reddit try to pretend they're not social media, but that's all they are. But the problem is every time, you know, so I'm a, I'm a bit in the startup community because, you know, I'm trying to make one myself at some point here. But everyone tries to come up with an ethical Facebook or or something like that. But the problem is the business model doesn't let you be ethical. Because in order for you to be a platform that is sustainable monetarily, like it's not just constantly losing money forever and ever, is to sell user data. It's it's the only profitable way. It's either that or you have to pay for social media. But because we're all using free social media, no one's willing to pay for it. And so now you're in a problem where the only way the only way to be sustainable is to be unethical. And I think that's going to be a huge problem. And I'm hoping, you know, European and North American legislatures come up with better privacy protections and better protections from social media sites. I say those two countries because, or those two regions, because uh, Europe with GDPR and California has a similar to GDPR. I can't remember its name, but they seem to be the most progressive in trying to be like, let's, let's protect our people. What is GDPR? Can you tell my listeners what GDPR is? I can't remember the acronym off the, off the top of my head, but it's, it's a law in Europe that is putting privacy, trying to put privacy back in the hands of actual people. So whenever whenever you see go on a website and you see, we use cookies to, to make your experience better. What you should actually read is we use cookies to track you and we need your permission thanks to GDPR to do this. And there there's... Uh, there's that side of things and there's also a fundamental right to be forgotten in Europe where you can request a company to delete all of the data it knows about you. So you can go on Facebook and say, delete me, just delete me. And they have to comply. And you can also, and part of that is you can also download your data. So you can go on Google, you can go on Facebook, you can go on any, web page that operates in Europe and download all of your data and see exactly what they know about you. Do you remember when, I mean, I'm sure you do, but do you remember when the, um, I guess it was the Cambridge Analytica scandal came and there was, yeah, there were all these um, stories about how I downloaded my data and I found out Facebook knows my gate code. How in the hell does Facebook know my gate code? For example, um, or something like that. So what to what level of what what is the level of surveillance with Facebook and a and a and a person? If they can find something out about you, they store it. They might not know what to do with it yet, but they don't care. Because they can just store it and they're developing these machine learning algorithms to learn more and more about you and process this this more information. 
And so they can go back and reprocess what they know about you and form new information about you and try and learn new things. So like that gate code example, you know, they might not know what to do with the gate code now, but you know, maybe in two years they can develop an algorithm to find people with similar locations by the gate code. You know, if you're in an apartment building and they, they see, they think, they think you live at the same address, but they can't know it yet, but they know both of you have the same gate code. Well, that adds a little more to the probability that they know that you live at the same address or in the same building at, at least. And Facebook and Google and all these other people are just data hoovers. They just suck up every little tiny bit they can because of that reason. Do you see a where do you see like an end game for this or is this just something that's going to continue where these these social media companies just sort of hoover up data and we just have to live in the consequences? The only end game is going to be regulation. Uh, that that's that's the only way this game can end because you know when privacy tools are out there but it's a cat and mouse of you they try and block a way of tracking you well they just come up with another way you know and google with its vast billion dollars can just create just stick 10 engineers on creating a new way to track you it's nothing to them you know nothing compared to the value of that tracking Right. Well, I mean, you say regulation, but the thing I, I look at is with our country and my country, America, U.S., we, we tend to uh, right now our Congress is is very anti-regulation and they're also old. And I forget the statistic, but there's an amazing percentage of of congressmen and senators that have a flip phone. They don't even have a smartphone. And. <laughs> Around here, we kind of have taken to calling them the gerontocracy. But um, I really wonder, like, America, or I guess the U.S., tends to govern by crisis, right? So everything rocks along, and then there's a crisis. (laughs) And then there's always a soul-searching, and then there's a new raft of legislation. So what would be a crisis from... What would be a crisis moment for the U.S. to realize, oh, we ha- we must regulate social media? I think I think we've shown in the states that that's it's not going to come from the states. Cambridge Analytica should have been that crisis moment of so so a little bit more details on what Cambridge Analytica actually was. It was finding out who which way you are likely to vote and targeting advertisements to show you more information about who you're voting for. And I don't mean information as like a positive information or a po- not, not pro or negative, but more of like reaffirming your own opinions, regardless of what those opinions were. And I think that, that we've shown that U.S. isn't going to be the leader in this because that crisis has come and gone and nothing came of it in the States. I think it's going to be Europe that's going to going to lead the charge in there. Uh, GDPR was the first spearhead in that. And 
it would not surprise me in the least that in the next two or three years, uh, the European Union comes out with new sets of regulation, e even restricting it farther, because they seem to be the ones that are actually like, let's be proactive about this. They're the ones that spearheaded the right to be forgotten. France was actually the one to start the right to be forgotten with Google of you can go in and say that this irrelevant story about me needs to, uh, you, needs to be deleted from Google. And so there are certain stories that you can't Google in Europe because it's been forgotten. Well, I mean, okay, I'm going to push back on Cambridge Analytica being the crisis point in the U.S. Because so many people in this country either don't think voting is important or they don't think both part they think both parties are the same or like they're not political they're intentionally not political so i'm wondering if when i say crisis moment i mean something that would literally affect your safety or like your financial situation or something that somebody could look and touch and not some philosophical like oh they know i'm a republican so i'm only seeing how you know democrats are evil or vice versa right it, it would have to be something that would hit your physical safety as a crisis point and what do you think one of those could be and and, and that's why i don't think the states is going to lead it is because i can't think of a bigger crisis than than what cambridge analytical was there's been, you know, swatting is one that uh, that's affected people's physical safety, where they they call in a fake 911 call and have the SWAT team sent out to your house. But that's that's a phase that's come and gone. And there's been legislation specifically targeting swatting, but not targeting the bigger problem. And so well, tell I me think what, as okay. as these crises, swatting is, first of all, so swatting is. Uh, though someone someone decides to make a 911 phone call and have the SWAT team sent to your house and wow yeah it, it, and it's happened to several you know it's usually not some random random guy on the street that they do it to it's usually streamers that get targeted because then then the event gets publicized and so you know it's it's about the notoriety it's not about Harassment. It's about hey, it's about pulling a prank. So you um, would swat yourself, in other words. You would swat a friend. You would swat a streamer. Okay. Okay. So there's legislation against that. There has been some leg. There's. They've made so. They obviously can't be proactive about swatting because you still you still want people to call 911. But what they've done is they've made swatting. I don't know if they've made it a felony in the states, but they've definitely a lot of states have enacted laws that provide severe punishments for swatting. And there have been some high profile cases that people have been sent to jail for swatting. So it, it, it doesn't happen as often as it, as it used to anymore because of that but you know that's just targeting one symptom of a problem of that people are terrible and i can't think of a bigger crisis that would cause regulations in the states 
you can't think of a bigger crisis than swatting. And well, I guess one of the things is, you know, we have uh, there's been a couple of Supreme Court cases that have said, you know, they've made money. They've basically taken the brakes off of campaign finance. And I guess they see Facebook, et cetera, as a, a, a money pool to to finance their campaigns from or something. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I would guess. Yeah, so. Camp- yeah, go ahead. Sorry, what were you going to say? I lost track of what I was well, going to say. I was going to ask, do you know about campaign finance laws in Canada? I mean. So there are campaign finance laws. We don't have. So the in the States, there's a fundamental principle that money is speech. Well, not, not that money is speech, but that corporations are people and that you can't restrict their speech. Canada doesn't have that. And Canada doesn't run elections the same way. It's not the first, it's not the first Tuesday of November every four years. What, what happens is we're parliamentary. And so what happens is an election gets called 90 days in advance or I think the longest election we've had has been like 120. And so you only get a short time to spend the money anyways. You don't get, you you can't campaign for four years. So uh, uh, up here, it's a lot different. Um, And there's a lot more regulations on where the finances can come from, who can donate, how much they can donate, and who can run political campaigns. Yeah. So, do you know what causes an election? I hate to turn this into a a governmental um, podcast, but what causes an election in Canada? So, an, there, an election must be called before five years. Uh, and so, it, it's up to Parliament itself to decide when an election is. Uh, the it, it, There's motions of no confidence, so like a budget. Uh, a government shutdown like like that happens in the state just can't happen in Canada because if a budget isn't passed, an election is called. Or when the governing party feels that it's convenient for them or that it's a prime time, they can call an election as well. And so and say that, you know, in 90 days we're we're holding an election. Okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've studied the parliamentary system and when I was studying political science, and I, I came away with thinking it was a better system. I mean, I really did. I came away with thinking it was a much less, um, a much more honest, or there was much more potential for honesty. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, I... I... I think the limits, I don't think it's necessarily the fact that it's parliamentary, but I think it's the principles that elections don't run more than nine, than 120 days that, you know, you can only, you, you can only spend so much money in that amount of time and you can only raise so much money in that amount of time. I think that's where the honesty comes in. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I don't believe our politicians are any less corrupt than in the States. And I think I think Canada is due for some election reform, but that's a that's a different conversation. Okay, so that's not a conversation you want to have right now. 
Well, I mean, like, I... So my expertise is tech. I can get political as well, but... Depends where you want to take the show. I want to take it wherever you want to take it. Yeah. As I, so... As I tell all my guests, I'm the only audience member you have to... You have to think about. <laughs> fair enough. So, like, in Canada... We... We... Every region votes for their own representative you don't vote for the prime minister here in canada you vote for your local representative who then in the first setting of parliament votes for the prime minister which you know of course every party member votes for their own party um so you don't you don't directly vote for the prime minister and i think i think i like that idea better but the problem is is that you get the same problem of that regions of heavy of dense population have less say than the middle of nowhere. And so that's a problem, but I think there's also a problem of if you go to, if you go to representative voting without you lose regional interests because the farmers that are outside of my, my house, my house here have vastly different needs than those of bankers in Toronto. And so how do you make sure that that still gets represented? And right. there there has to be a better system than what we have now, but I just don't know what that is yet. Well, I mean, my thing, I'm, I've always been into, I've always loved political theory. And I, I majored in it in college, for God's sake. But my thing is, there's always been this juxtaposition between the rural and the and the urban. Yeah, you know, and and in this country, in in the U.S., I think what we're learning is that the suburbs, in reality, are just the city without mass transit. So, yep. in terms of voting, so you know, it's it's always this this dance that happens and. I guess maybe I'm a little weird because I actually like to watch the dance. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. like it, it's absolutely fascinating, don't get me wrong. Uh, no, but is. you know you have two oppo- you you know the other side of the coin so there's two sides of the coin that happen and I'm going to pull to the states because they just had an election where you know people saying you know they don't want California and New York to control the elections. But you can't have land be what what's really voting there either because you know two people live in a district they get to decide they have just as much power as 40 people in new york that's not right either and so you you have these balancing interests that i think you need you need to balance you need you need a better way of balancing those well i don't know about canada but one of the things that's going on here that's been going on literally since before I was born is that more and more people are moving to fewer and fewer places. Yeah. And now it's getting to the point where like Trump won the most counties. Yeah. But, but of the counties Biden won, Biden won by far the most people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and that's, uh, and that's what I mean that's what I mean by, you know, land voting versus people voting. You know, I don't mean that a plot of land can vote. I just mean that when you look at the counties that get, when counties get equal representation, 
and you have 10 people that live in a county versus 100 people that live in a different county, those votes, those votes of those 10 people mean a lot more than those votes of the 100 people. And so, and, but yeah. that's wrong. Everyone, the, the everyone's thing I should noticed, be equal. I'm sorry, say that again? Everyone's vote should be equal. Well, the thing I noticed specifically that I thought was, the one thing I thought was just really crazy was, I think it was Minnesota. I could be wrong, but I think it was Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota has over 50% of the people in Minnesota live in two counties. Yeah. <laughs> Which was like crazy to me. And, you know, the one thing, and then we can go back to tech if you want, but the one thing that people always say, New York and California pick the president in the other system. If you really look through the years, a fascinating thing is, has been happening. New York and California are losing people. Oh, yeah. Like, they're losing people fast. Yeah. You know. Well, I think the pandemic's only accelerated that. Um, right. So, you know, with San Diego and, and Silicon Valley have been ungodly expensive for so long now. But now that people can work from home, and now that companies are starting to realize that that's not a terrible option, why wouldn't I want to live in the middle of Minnesota? where it's so cheap and my money goes so much farther than it did in San Francisco. And that's a dilemma a lot of people are having. That's a dilemma I've had as, I, as I've transitioned to working from home. And so it, it's going to change the tech landscape. It's going to change the political landscape uh, just so much because, you know, how do you, how do you service these people that live in smaller communities now? My my governor uh, in my state, I live in Georgia, my governor is, uh, shall we say, conservative. Um, he has been trying, nonetheless, the entire time he's been in office, to, to bring broadband to rural areas yeah. to kind of get the population out of metro Atlanta. Because if you look at my state, in metro Atlanta, you have all these people. And outside of Metro Atlanta, except aside from Savannah and maybe I think Augusta, it's just basic. It's not nothing, but it's it's very depopulated. Yeah. Right. Um. And so this has been a thing that has bedeviled people for for years. And you know, I honestly hope it works because you really before the pandemic, you really started to see the the rents and things were just going way through the roof. Like yep. way unreasonable. <coughs> but um I, this is a this is an interesting podcast. I've been dying to talk to somebody that had intelligent thoughts about how the world was gonna be post pandemic. <laughs> so well, how do like, you think it, it's it's going to be very interesting because there was a report in like April, May ish that so many chief financial officers of so many big companies were just like, wait, we can have people working just as effective from home and not have to pay rent on these huge buildings where to enforce everyone to come to work here. And they're happier working at home. Why aren't we doing this? And so I think work from home is going to be 
the the next a very large driving factor in the next few years as, as we come out of the pandemic because people are just like i don't want to commute anymore who who wants to sit in traffic for an hour who wants to get on a crowded subway for two hours who nobody wants that but we've all just dealt with it for no reason and with the advent of modern technology we don't need to anymore uh, we we can secure network at home very effectively with the use of vp of corporate vpns and data secu- and good data security practices and but one of the biggest yeah, problems right. is going to be broadband and as much as i don't like elon musk as a person uh starlink is going to be is what i think is going to kick a lot of broadband companies in the in, in, in the behind there because they're just going to have blanket coverage of the entire united states with not great but reasonable internet connections talk about starlink i'm not aware of that so starlink is uh one of elon musk's from you know everyone knows them from him from tesla but uh he, he's putting up satellite internet in canada and the u.s and he's advertising i think it's a 100 megabit download anywhere in the u.s so you can be in the middle of montana at the bottom of a valley or in between mountains and still get 100 megabit yeah that, that's going to be a game changer that's gonna oh yeah be a total game changer because like in so many of those communities you're lucky to get 10 right now my cousin uh you talk about facebook my cousin was talking about how, what his mother uh, paid for her internet speed. And I was like, I wouldn't, that's not even worth buying. That's so no. slow. That's not even worth buying. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and like they pay like $80 a month for 10 megabits. And you're just like, how is that a reasonable charge for that? I mean, <laughs> we had to upgrade I remember, I remember doing it. I remember upgrading the speed simply because Google gained weight, like Chrome oh, got yeah. heavier. Oh yeah. <laughs> I like, I couldn't put a year on it, but it was in the last four years anyway. Oh yeah, no, it's been slowly happening, and it's not just Go- it's not just Chrome. It's all the individual websites, uh, with all the tracking scripts. And that that's the they, other thing. I'm. Go ahead. They they embed these tracking scripts into web pages that go and download more things to track you, and so now you now instead of just downloading the picture, you're down, you know, you're downloading all of this other additional content that takes longer right. to make everything load because of course they prioritize the tracking scripts before loading the content you actually wanted to see. Well, the thing I the thing I think about when I get meta about something like this, the thing I think about is I think that because we have these elderly politicians, I honestly think that because we have these elderly politicians, we're going to back ourselves into corners that they're not even aware of because they're, they're not using the technology. They themselves are not using the technology. And then over time, like, Either the market will evolve or, you know, there's going to be this moment where this new group of people come in and, you know, fix things or try to fix things appropriate to what they want to fix it to. So the big problem with that is that's exactly what Google tried to do with Google Fiber. 
So Google Fiber was an experiment four or five years ago now where they tried to set up their own IS, ISP in the States, but they got blocked at a lot of legislatures because they, a lot of broadband companies and a lot of cable companies have effectively legal monopolies where you have to get legislation permission to set up a new broadband company and to set up a new ISP and they don't allow, and you know, and of course AT&T or whoever it is, it's not AT&T anymore, but whoever Comcast, I think it is now one of the big ones, uh, they just go and pay these politicians to vote against it. And, you know, or enact laws that prevent new, new newcomers from coming into the space. And it's doing damage because, you know, if, Google Fiber had been allowed to exist, we'd be much more prepared for the for work from home from middle of nowhere than we are today. Right. Right. And like you were saying earlier, the I mean Comcast believes that its core business is cable television, at least that's what they tell people. Um, but it's plainly not. I mean and then you look at in this country there's a company called Sinclair and they bought um they bought the the regional sports channels, yeah, and they're essentially taking them all off streaming. So you know you've got these these uh, leagues that are essentially like they're locked out of showing their own shows, their own their yeah. own teams, and it's just it's crazy to me because the thing the pandemic teaches people, the thing the pandemic taught me is what's really necessary. Yeah, and as much as I love certain teams they're not actually necessary to my survival no <laughs> yeah well so i i think sports sports is going to hit a tipping point tipping point because putting on my tinfoil hat because i don't have any sources for this but i think a lot of traditional sports are 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 having trouble engaging younger audiences because they're not broadcasting where younger audiences consume content anymore. And so I think I think in 10 years esports is going to be so much huger because it's on platforms like Twitch, it's on platforms like YouTube that they can just access. Yeah, sure they watch an ad or they 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 pay a little bit of money to get the content that they actually want. But they you know because they they don't have cable and they don't want cable. They don't watch football. They don't watch baseball. They don't watch basketball or hockey. They watch CSGO. Yeah. I mean, you're, and I see that not only do I see that with kids, I see that with not as far as watching esports, but I see that with me. Oh yeah. It's like, I'll never forget. Like a few years ago, I had this, I had this epiphany where I was like, how much is cable a year? Cable yeah. is like it was over a thousand dollars a year, which now would be cheap, right? Yeah. And I was like, what do I watch? Okay. Is baseball worth that much money a year to me? Right? Exactly. You see, you see <laughs> that's the question. Right? Well, and you have so many people like me. So I graduated university five years ago and I moved out on my own when I got a job shortly after. I have not paid for cable once. 
I have never owned a cable subscription. And I don't think I ever will because I just, the content just isn't for me. And I spend more time angry at commercials than I do actually watch TV. It's amazing to me how you'll meet people. It's amazing to me how you'll meet people that, that have bought hook, line and sinker. The, the notion that cable is a luxury good, that it's a premium good because it's it's so not it's well it's it's so objectively not better than streaming it's just it's not it's not it's fundamental i at this point cable is for people who don't understand streaming and i i say that dearly but i have members of my own family that that fall into that category oh oh listen listen i mean there are upfront costs that you have to take on, for yeah. sure. But it's so much cheaper. Even oh, yeah. factoring that in, it's so much cheaper. Well, and, and so like the Google Chromecast, forty it was $40 when it first came out. I think it's like 60 now. But 40 bucks, 60 bucks, you could stream from any website to your TV. And that's all I've ever used was a Chromecast for my for my t- for my TV content. I throw up tech videos on on YouTube onto onto my TV. I sit on my couch just like I was watching cable. And it's just so much more enjoyable of an experience. And just for everybody who's not I mean, you know, cuz I have a lot of listeners. I mean, you can watch movies, you can watch Yeah. You can't watch sports right now, but allegedly that's going to change in January. Uh well, they allege. Yeah, well, and that'll vary by sport, but like if you can if you can put you can you can cast your entire Chrome tab to your TV. So if you can wa- if you can load it in Chrome, you can watch it on your TV. Yeah, I know about we use Roku, but yep, where they have apps. I might talk to you offline about Chromecast. Well, that's fair. You know, Chromecast is, is a little bit more versatile. Uh, Google just came out with a Google TV Chromecast cross thing that yeah. is kind of interesting, but yeah. Well, anyway, um, good Lord. So where do you see, take me into the hellscape, okay? Where do you see if there's no regulation into uh, social media? and tracking and all that where do you see this going ice so the political divide that we've seen in the states is only going to get worse because with with social media you're going to get opinion bubbles and they're just going to become more insulated and they're just going to support each other more and they're going to have ads targeted to them that reaffirm their opinions and regardless of whether or not their opinion is secretly an incorrect incorrect or correct fact they're just they're just going to have their beliefs reaffirmed and get more stubborn and i think we're just going to find more divisive lines in society is where i think this is going to go do you think i mean do you honestly think i mean because one of the things i've noticed with i'm gonna i'm gonna forget his name uh the young man in 
he lived in one state and went to another state to, in his words, help the police break up a Black oh, Lives yeah. Matter protest. Okay. Yeah. Do you think we're literally going to get to a point where you start, where one side starts denying the humanity of the other side? I think we've started and that. I I agree with you. I totally agree with with that statement. You know, um, I I. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out specifically a lot of hardcore Trump supporters have, you know, there have been, there have been supporters that have said, that have been angry with Trump saying he's not hurting the people he's supposed to hurt. Why is he supposed to be hurting people? Yeah, that, I've, I've heard those. I've literally heard, I've heard that a lot on social media. And I don't know, like the, we have the pandemic we have the COVID way worse in the, in the States than they do in Canada. And and one of the things I've been thinking about a lot because I did my, my first, I finished my deep dive into the Spanish flu. So there's a lot of similarities between COVID and the Spanish flu. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is it occurred to me like, 60 if you took the same people if you took the people that came up through the war through world war ii and the depression and you put them here you put them here right now and you showed them how to use the technology they would handle covid totally differently oh yeah i'm convinced i think (laughs) post-world war ii so i'm a bit of a world war ii history nut and i think post-world war ii um we with the generation that came from the baby boomers i hate to use that but that's what they are is a loss of collective sense and more emphasis on the person rather than the people we fought world war ii for the people but we fight things now for ourselves the, the self right yeah and i i also think i mean i was just thinking about like there's a story in my family that i actually told on the podcast about my uh my great aunt who actually remembered the flu like she remembered the spanish yeah. flu as a as a girl and she said essentially like she said we're alive today because mom, mother would not let us go into town because they had the flu. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I'm just like, you wouldn't get that out of that same population today, the same sort of rural yeah. people today. You wouldn't get that. No. Unless maybe you had a doctor or something. I don't know, man. It just <laughs> well, it it's so, history. Yeah, go ahead. It it's been mildly terrifying for me. So I I live in a small town right now with my mom, who's been undergoing chemotherapy, so very immunocompromised, and nobody wears. Only in the past week or two weeks have people started wearing masks, and it's just like. It's mildly terrifying because it's just like, I'm trying not to get anything. 
to because then I'm just going to spread it to my mother. And it's just like, can y'all just put on a bloody mask and just suck it up for one more year? What I can't, what I can't figure out are, I, I okay. I understand how you could live in February and March and April and you could believe COVID was a hoax. I do. I get it. I get it. I get it. I disagree with it, but I get it. I I don't, right. I don't think, I never thought it was a hoax, but I could totally see how someone could think it was a hoax back in March, February, April. But by the by now, for people to be saying it's a hoax, yeah, man, I mean, you're you're telling more about you than you are. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, it's how many people do I know that that have? I know people that died of COVID. Yeah, like just without even thinking about it, I can name people yeah. that died from this disease. Yeah. And, uh, you know that's just a world of sadness when you start to getting in because it's it's denying people's experiences it's yeah here's a thought that i have i wonder if my country if the u.s from 1946 to 2001 that we were in a golden age and everything sort of rocked along and you know, there were ups and there were downs, but, you know, the furniture in the, you know, the, the statecraft, the basic, the needle didn't, the basic needle, the basic firmware, right, yeah. didn't really change. And now you have this. And what you're seeing is after 9-11, our firmware changed. You know, like the underpinnings of yep. the psychological underpinnings of our country changed. So my opinion is it didn't, is that it wasn't nine 11 that changed it. It was the tea party, which you could argue came from nine 11, but the, 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 I think the biggest, the biggest change came from the ultra conservative uprising that started with the tea party. I think that that's what led us to where we are today. I, with, I think they're, you're they're right, the, but I don't. I think you're right, but I don't think. I think if 9/11 had never happened, we would never have gone to Iraq. And if yeah. we didn't go to Iraq, we wouldn't have had the blowback from the Iraq War, which wouldn't have led to Obama being elected, which wouldn't have led to the Tea Party, which wouldn't have led to Trump. Yeah, that's where yeah. I'm going. That's how it I was. De- it was definitely the start, but I think. I think the point of no return was the Tea Party. I think we could have we we could have fixed what was what was broken, what we broke. The, the point until of no the Tea Party started getting popular. The point of no return to me was when Obama uh, put in his ACA through executive order instead of taking it through the Senate. Yeah. Or, or what? That's the point of no return to me. Because there's just so many people in the, and you see it now, like there's just so many people in this country that it's either like, well, first of all, the cost of healthcare has been ballooning for, for years in this country, number one. 
And number two, the problem that Obamacare was designed to fix, most people don't really even understand that as a problem. You know, like the yeah. thought that you can be somebody who doesn't have health insurance and yet has a pretty good job. Most people in this country don't want to comprehend that. Well, <laughs> socialism is a dirty word in your country. When it is, I live in a socialist country and I'm quite happy about it. Um, socialized medicine works fundamentally. It's been proven to work. Um, I'm sorry, but I think I think part of the problem is that the ACA was trying to fix a problem, was trying to become socialized medicine without being socialized medicine, because socialized medicine would be immediately rejected by people. So I think it was the closest he could get while still being acceptable. And I think I think he's I, I think that act is right on that line of what he could actually get past. And I, I, if memory serves, it was actually written up by either Bob Dole or Mitt Romney, one or the other, like back in the day. If I think it was served, Mitt Romney had a very similar act before he ran before he ran against Obama, like ten years prior to that, proposed something very similar but then started denouncing it in the campaign. Yeah, I don't really rem remember it right off the top, but yeah. I mean, but you're right. I mean, socialism in this country has become, and it it wasn't always that way, but it's become this horrible word to a lot of people. And, I mean, you go back and you look at uh, the New Deal, Yep. That or the great society. Yep. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, political scientists love to point out that Ronald Reagan's biggest accomplishment was that he, he basically convinced American, he basically convinced a whole lot of Americans that they did not need government in their lives. Yep. And he he drugged the republic he drugged not just the Republican party to the right. He drugged the Democratic party to the right. Yep. And that was an accomplishment of Ronald Reagan. Oh yeah, no, it's it, yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. It was That's where a lot of the self started to come from. Right. Yeah, I wrote about this for years. <laughs> years and years and years. I, I spent a lot of my life writing about this. And it's funny, too, because I wrote a paper uh, in college where I talked about, it's like I went out west. And I talk about it a little bit in my podcast. I went out west by car which is something everybody in America should do. They should start in the East and they should go West by car. Uh, after the pandemic, of course, don't do it now. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> but, but you know, everybody should do it. Um, because what you see is when you come out of the 
the major cities when you when you come out when we when you cross over from Alabama to Mississippi all the way to Texas all the way to Dallas it's a different it's like it's rural it's very very rural and the thing you notice the further west i got the thing i noticed was there's all these people who deeply 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 resent being in the same country as urban people yep and you know if we're going to stay a country we have to figure that out yeah oh and that and that's a huge problem is is what do you do about that you know the war on the suburbs has become a term despite the fact that nobody's attacking the suburbs but that's a whole other bucket of barrels oh right and it's funny too because pre-pandemic you know the the rents were rising the, the property tax was going up all this you know, and then yeah. the pandemic hits and the rug it got pulled out from under people. Yeah. A lot of people. Well, like, what fascinates, what, what, what I find interesting with taxes in the States is how little value for money you guys get. You guys pay similar taxes to most of the world, but you don't get a lot back. Most of it goes to military budgets and to propping up propping up big businesses where that just doesn't happen in other countries or it doesn't happen nearly to the same degree. Right. And it's funny too, because a lot of people don't know that. Like a lot of people actually don't know how much of our budget is military. Oh yeah. It's ridiculous. And you can get into some really interesting arguments about it. They're just fascinating because so many people just have. And what's even crazier is there's actually a law. There's a law that says that a certain percentage of our budget has to go to a two front cold weather war. That's what the law says. It has to go to a two front cold weather war. We don't have cold weather adversaries anymore. No. And yet we're still spending on a two front cold weather war. Although, if you Which believe Trump, Canada's na- national security threat, so you might not, you might not be exactly oh, oh, correct that's on right. that. <laughs> right. But then, didn't he say like, I forget? Didn't he have to backtrack that? There or was that? Well, no, he hasn't, because there are still tariffs in Canada against Canadian goods, and he's gone on and off with the whole tariff thing in Canada. But yeah, right. I mean, hmm. Anyway, <laughs> this has certainly <laughs> been a fascinating podcast. Absolutely. So, um, good lord, uh, we barely talked about technology at all. I think we talked about technology for about half of it. We got a solid forty-five minutes in there. Yeah. It's just that was 45 minutes ago. <laughs> I might actually throw the whole thing up. Um, I tell you what. 
Um, it'll be interesting to to revisit you like in a, a little while to see how net neutrality comes back. Or well, you have a Jeep Pie stepping down January twentieth, which might start to see some of the some of that be undone. But we'll see what Biden's priorities are because he's got a lot of a lot of healing to do, a lot of a lot of work to undo. Yeah. Well, even the I mean the Senate keeps saying they're not they're not going to uh, put his advisors in or his, which I mean Trump didn't let them. I mean that didn't stop Trump either. So yeah, I mean who knows really what's going to happen. Make sure you vote in Georgia is all I really have to say there. Oh my God! And you guys are—I mean, you're—you're you're all the way up in Alberta. Bless your heart. You're all the <laughs> way up in Alberta, telling people to vote. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is crazy. <laughs> that, is, that is absolutely bonkers. Um, man, I tell you, it'll be fascinating to to see like. I, I, I got to say, this is what I wonder. I wonder if the pandemic, what if we learn with COVID that COVID causes all these, like, what if there's more people sick with this than anybody knows, basically, right? Oh, that's, oh, they, they've, there's been evidence to show that, you know, they do antibody tests. So when, when yeah. you get a virus, you... And you fight it off successfully, you develop a resistance to it. And that resistance is your antibodies. And there have been entire communities that have that for some reason have these antibodies. And it's just like, did they get the virus and just not know it? Like it, it, it's a wow. huge question. That's I mean, that's pretty amazing. I, I know I've talked to people. Uh, for my podcast where I talk to all these people about how COVID affects them or their family or whatever. I've heard some pretty crazy stories. Oh, I'm sure. You know, that I, some of them, I, a lot of them, I honestly believe like a lot of them. And a lot of the stories I've, I've heard, a lot of the podcasts, not a lot, but a few of the podcasts I've done, I'm like, yeah, that's not making the internet. Okay. But, um, yeah, I've heard some stories that, especially from the early days, the real early days, yeah, that I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, that is that's crazy, like that's I I couldn't. This one person told me this story, and I was like, I couldn't imagine living that. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't imagine, you know, crazy town. Yeah, but um, so what I'm what I noticed because I follow because I'm a Winnipeg Jets fan, so this means I follow the Winnipeg media on Twitter. So what I've noticed is the the Canadian COVID numbers are much smaller than what we have by like a lot. Yeah. Yep. Um, Well, it's we're not at so. So it's actually kind of interesting. So we're not afraid to lock down. Ontario has enacted lockdowns again. Winnipeg is in complete lockdown for, I think, another week. 
And where I am in Alberta, we're we're refusing to lock down. We're getting the anti-mask protests and the premier isn't denouncing them. And our numbers are the largest in Canada. And it's just like, that's not a coincidence. It's when it's when you take this seriously and enact public health measures. We, you know, there's no provincial, we're the only province in Canada not to have a mask law. Every other Why province does. Canada but, have a mask law? So it's not, it's not, it's not the role of the federal government to do that because of, because healthcare is the, is provincial responsibility. So the, the Canadian government can't. So it's up to you, but every other province has done it except Alberta. And we're like 60% ICU utilization right now. We're, we have like 1200 cases a day. And it's just like, this isn't a coincidence, people. Wear a mask. Yeah, I mean, it's, but why is Canada, I mean, why is Alberta more, more with the not lock, more with the not masking? Like, what is it about Alberta culture, society? Why why are they? Alberta takes a lot of cues from American conservatism. Okay. Why? I'm just curious. I, I've, I, I've never been able to figure out why, but it, it, we very closely follow American conservatism. We're a very heavy oil economy like Texas is. People call Alberta the Texas of Canada. Uh, and it's true. And okay. Okay. We've, had, we, we've elected conservative premiers. We went 40 years straight with, conser- with the conservative party of Alberta. Uh Okay. Which is just unheard of. Where did you uh, Where did you grow up in Alberta? I grew up here in Alberta. Some... Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you like you've never lived in like Ottawa or not? Ottawa, I lived Ontario in or I lived in Toronto for five years. I just moved back a couple months ago. Okay. How would you say the difference between Toronto and? I mean. Obviously, like Toronto is a, a big city for Canada. So how how would you say like the what's the urban rural divide in Canada? Like what's that like? So it's it's kind of an urban rural divide without being urban and rural. Well, I guess I guess that's not necessarily true. I guess it's still urban and rural. But that but Alberta is far more rural than other provinces. We have two large cities that are about a million, million and a half population each. And then, and then from there, it's just all rural farmers and oil workers and and ranchers that all subscribe to American conservatism. You know, they, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a Trump license plate here in Alberta. I'm just like, why do you have a Trump license plate? He's not your, he's not your president. He, he 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 doesn't even care about yeah. your country, but that's so strange to me. I mean, I tell you what's strange to me as an American. If I didn't live here, I wouldn't care about our politics. I wouldn't care. It, it wouldn't confront me at all. And I you think know? you're saying that because you are American. A lot of Canadians care about American politics. 
because it directly affects us. The trade war directly affects our economy. How well our dollar is doing compared to yours affects how well we're doing. Oh, okay. And so you guys have been the center economy of the world for so long that other populations have to care about, about American politics. And I guess that's shifting now more to Cam, more to China, but who knows? History, history is unwritten. Yeah, that's very true. History is unwritten. I don't know. Well, this has been fascinating. Um, all right, hang on. I'm yep. going to unhook the recording. Um, um, but uh, hang on just a second. I'm going to unhook the recording and then I'll talk to you off air.